you're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean, how's it going? David, I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. I've uh, been, read- been reading a lot of Stoicism, started our, our meditation group, and we had a few people showing for that. Oh, that, interesting, uh, really? Yeah, that it's, you know, a lot of people have a lot of false ideas about meditation or mindfulness, so that I've been teaching people how to do mindfulness for a long time. It can kind of help correct people. So they're like, you know, I'm, I'm awful at, at mindfulness. And it's like, what, what makes you say you're awful at mindfulness? And it's like, well, you're doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. You're noticing your judgments and, and now let go of your judgments and keep doing mindfulness without telling yourself you're awful. And that's, that's yeah. the first step basically. When I, like when I, when I used to meditate more often, I need to, I need to get back into it and be consistent with it. But like yeah. whenever I would, uh, be meditating and trying to like shut my mind off and then like an intrusive thought came in um yeah. i would always be like well i'm i'm shooting the bed here i'm not meditating correctly but yeah. like my therapist at the time when i was seeing her she would kind of like say well at that point you just have to acknowledge what you're looking at or like you have to acknowledge yeah. the intrusive thought and then like mentally put it to the side and just like like yeah. not judge yourself for having it if that makes sense so that, that idea that you it, it's really helpful to have a guide somebody to direct you and i've been reading some really good books on on meditation and mindfulness lately, but that it's really not to push all thoughts. It's not about pushing them out of mind. It's the whole Buddhist kind of attitude is not so aggressive of push it away. It's just let them go. And then repeatedly let them go again. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then it does get easier where it gets a little more. I think we're talking about a the idea of stillness. What that really, what is it really to, to cultivate stillness? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But hey, Sean, how you been Sean? Pretty good. I was telling you before we started recording, my uh, my back finally feels good. I've been seeing a physical therapist twice a week, um, and I've been able to go for some long runs. So I, I turned thirty six uh, last week, and ever since then, my my new bo- my body is new body, new Sean. I guess if that makes sense, or new year, new Sean. Nope, that's great. Get back to uh, exercise. It's just funny as you're saying it's, it's a physical therapist. Sometimes I tell people I'm a therapist, and they're like, "Oh, are you a physical therapist?" Very hopeful, and I'm like, "No, I'm a mental health therapist." And they're like. Oh no, don't analyze me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the usual, usual interaction with people. Yeah. But outside of that, so, it's, uh, everything's good. We went down to Florida for a, for a few days and, uh, hung out with Beth's parents and, uh, got some sun. So that was fun. What was that March, uh, March Florida weather like? It was hotter than it was supposed to be. It was like 90 degrees. Um, yeah. so like it was like consistent sweat, which I hate, but I was able to just <laughs> deal with it. Yeah. Oh, that's sounds nice right now, but it's also, yeah, it's starting to warm up a little bit here where I can't have to take my jacket off. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, uh, Sean, what are we, what are we talking about today? So this week we're going to be uh, discussing part three of our series on the journey of Odin. In part one, we discuss the god Odin and his quest to make himself more powerful, often through the accumulation of knowledge and wisdom. In part two, we discussed a few stories that involved Odin Nessing in the lives of other gods, in the case of Harbard's Lord with Thor, humans, as we discussed in Grimness Mall, and giants, as uh, we discussed in Thor's duel with Frugnir, and also in the family of the Volsungs. Um, David and I also discussed further the reasoning for Odin's desire in doing this. Why would Odin get into the affairs of mortals? And then came to the conclusion that gods' lives must be very boring and must suck. Or at least that was my takeaway, David. Yeah, I mean, what else do they have to do, right? So. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> um, so this week, we're going to be discussing what we believe to be Odin in his older years and his increasing anxiety over his knowledge of Ragnarok and his own mortality, which is a rather human trait, um, which is why I think the god Odin is pretty cool. But in doing so, we are going to briefly discuss the knowledge Odin receives in Valaspa, his rhetoric in giving life advice in Habamal, and then briefly, the poem Eric Small, the events leading to his son Baldur's death, and then his own death at Ragnarok. And then, David, I'm probably going to ask you the question of whether or not Odin had a good death when the wolf Fenrir swallowed him whole. I think that would be a good discussion, and I'm going to bring in some of the, the Stoic ideas on meditating on your death and why it's a good idea. So Awesome. So we can, we can go ahead and get started. Uh, so getting started with Volospa. Just a brief summary, Odin wakes the dead Cirrus and learns about his own death at Ragnarok, along with the death of most or all of the Aesir and his kin. She also tells him in stanza 52 that Fenrir is going to be the one that kills him, so he knows exactly how he is going to die. This is also when he, as I mentioned, Odin's kin, so this is also probably when he first heard of Baldur's death, his uh, pride and joy son. 
So stanzas 31 and 32 of the poem say this, and this is going to be Jackson Crawford's translation. And again, this is the Dead Seer's speaking to Odin. So I saw Balder, the bloodied victim, Odin's son, resigned to his fate. There stood the mistletoe, growing slender and fair, high above the plain. That tree, which seemed harmless, caused a terrible sorrow when Hoth took a shot. Balder's brother was born soon thereafter. He was Odin's son. He took vengeance, while still just one night old. And so that's when um, Odin, uh, I guess, Frigg gave birth to another son to kill Hod, who accidentally killed Balder with the mistletoe, which was orchestrated by Loki. And just because he hears about not only his own death here, but also the death of his son, Balder, this is probably why Odin gets so freaked out when he hears about Balder's dreams, which he ultimately goes down to hell to figure out what the fuss is about in Balder's drama. It's something when we get to the, the poem of uh, the lay of uh, Eric Bloodaxe, that they describe Balder a little more. The idea in the, a lot of the original poems, it was just, uh, you know, that Balder's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. But, but there's a neat, I've included a little uh, quote from the, that poem of, uh, about Eric Bloodaxe. Oh, awesome. kind of, to get a little more of a picture of what is the significance of, of Balder. And I'm trying to remember, so Odin has this, uh, is it one day old son? Yeah. Isn't there a scene where Thor has like a three day old son that destroys yeah. something too? That's yeah. like in the, well, that's in the episode on Thor versus Fringnir. And I mentioned this earlier, but yeah. like Odin is the reason this stool happened in the first place. Um, it involved him gloating right. about Sleipnir. He traveled to Jotunheim to gloat about his horse to the giant Fringnir and like challenged his, uh, challenge the credibility of his own horse um and so later in the episode after thor kills hringnir like a piece of uh i, I forgot what it was the whetstone like, yeah, yeah the whetstone gets it, lodged in his head yeah or like it fell on on <laughs> thor and nobody can get it off and then like thor's three-day-old son magni or something like right. that is able to pick it up it's it's interesting why that's a necessary image and the child was so mighty they could do things that only one day old or three days old <laughs> but um I'm sure it means something we're not quite getting, but that yeah, uh, maybe uh, maybe. was a common thing for the Greek heroes was that like the you know when they were you know a couple months old they would wrestle a snake and kill a snake with their bare hands and that was a sign they were going to be a mighty hero, save the whole country. Well, in this case, I mean, Odin was pissed off. Frigg was probably distraught when Balder died. So just like her giving birth, what was this name of the kid? I forgot. But like her giving birth to this like. Uh, baby was like the personification of her like anger and her frustration um and so like that's why the the stereotypical baby that represents her these emotions of frig is able to kill hod and so i'm thinking maybe it has something to do with uh like that i could be wrong but no that's interesting i think, I think it could be yeah yeah um but anyway the cirrus also tells odin about the rebirth after ragnarok so what i find interesting here is that Odin knows that he is going to die, but he also knows that Boulder is going to come back because yeah. she singles out Boulder as being like the new, uh, not necessarily the king. I don't think he was the king after the rebirth, after Ragnarok, but he is going to be back. So yeah. you have to ask yourself, like, Odin is obviously upset that he is going to die at one point, but should he be okay because he knows his son's going to die, but his son is going to come back. He's just not going to be around to see it. Right. And that goes to my story. I tell myself about Odin that he could be at peace with all of that. That's the way it's supposed to go. Right. His son will outlive him, but is Odin a little bit selfish and he doesn't want to die. Right. I'm like, I think that, I think that fits. I don't know if anyone else has translated these uh, stories that way, but that's how me and Sean translate them for sure. Yeah. And it's like, that's why I think that like, if this is true, if this is like what Odin is actually thinking, this is why I think Odin does, like represent humanity if because like let's say you're you know a 95 year old and you have like a you have like a family with like children great-grandchildren and great like yeah children grandchildren great-grandchildren etc and like there's probably like 40 of them or something maybe not that many but there's going to be a lot and it's like you've done pretty well with your life if you've like worked your butt off to like give them good lives and you're very excited about their future, but like maybe because you're closer to death, you're not going to see it. So should you be excited or should you just like have that existential dread? Um, right. And I think by that point that, that hopefully you're, it goes back to my uh, comment on uh, that, that you should be able to let go, right? That that's, I think when you're at that age, right, it's okay to let go. But if you never learned how to let go, then that's hard. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But anyway, I look at, I've always looked at Voluspa as, um, the start of Odin's existential dread. 
so he finds out that he's fated to die. Ironic as he only found this out because he was searching for all of this knowledge in the first place. He was looking for all the knowledge in the world, um, as, as we discussed in part one of this series. And like ultimately, he, I think you mentioned in a previous episode, he flew too close to the sun and he found out something that nobody should know when they're going to die and how they're going to die. But anyway, so that uh, Voluspa from the Poetic Era, that was the first one that we were going to discuss today. The next one is Habamal, which is also from the, the Poetic Era. And this is the longest poem in, in this uh, the series of poems. So Odin gives life, life advice, and we know at least during a portion of it, he is speaking to a person or a god named Ladfafnir. The poem to me comes off as Odin, in his later years, discussing his past triumphs and mistakes, or in general his overall experience, while giving his advice on how one should live his life. And that's, uh, I think yeah. that's why Havamal really is, Havamal's probably up there, that, that in Volspa is uh, some of the best poems. That it's okay that Odin's flawed, right? If he learns from it in the end, right? I think that's one of the places where it seems like, okay, maybe Odin does learn something from some of this. Yeah, and maybe he has like resigned. Like, and I, I know we've discussed in previous episodes, the gods consume Idun's apples to stay youthful. So theoretically, if like Ragnarok didn't happen, the gods could live forever. So like, I think maybe that's why, that's obviously like why Odin decides to try to do what he can to like raise his troops to stop it. But like, I do look at the idea of Havamal as maybe him being like mentally old. Like maybe he's just like tired at that point. And he does decide as opposed to just like staying with his anxiety about his upcoming death, he does decide to give knowledge out to somebody else. So like, if you do look at Odin in this story as like the 95 year old, and he, let's say he does have a huge family, which we know from the stories he does. He has many children with many uh, lovers. You know, he has he he's probably given them good lives. Um, his he knows his son Balder's dead, or maybe by Hobmall, Balder has already died. But um, you know, I like to think that he's trying to still do what's right for like the next generation, and the representation of Lud Fafnir may be that person. If that makes sense, and I, th- I believe that yeah, the name Lud Fafnir means the young poet, right? So it's. Odin, the, the old wise poet, oh. giving, giving advice to the young poet. Yeah, so maybe he has accepted his fate at this, at this point, but right. uh, I don't, we'll see. I think that's going to be something that we'll discuss yeah. maybe later in the episode. And I, I know I just want to make another note here on Havamal. We, we did a three-part series um, earlier, so I'm not going to go too far into like everything, but we did briefly discuss Havamal in part one of this series as well, because he, we did discuss what he, we did discuss him hanging himself on a tree which is what we found from Havamal. And it, he does discuss him seducing the giantess Gunlod, which is um, in reference to the Mita poetry story. And it also just kind of comes off as him being an actual human. He gives life advice yeah. on like how you have to treat your neighbors and everything like that. But Right. And that's, that's the little uh, comment I put there as I'm reading. The book's called uh, Ego and Arch- Archetype by Edward Edinger. And there's a chapter in there where he's really explaining the, the image of Christ as a in Jungian psychology, the idea of individuation, why that's a useful image. And they're especially talking about the, the Gnostic Christianity, not necessarily um, standard Christianity, but they do quote a lot from the book of Matthew um, in describing all these images. Th- that idea that when, when Snorri says, you know, that all the Norse gods were just humans, that feels like saying they're not real gods. There's a real God. They're not real mm-hmm. gods. But the idea that the gods becoming human or that they were human and they become gods and then they need to become humble or sacrifice themselves. It's this idea of similar to the, the phrase you used before, Sean, the ego death. They talk about this idea as the, the individuating ego is the ego that separates and clarifies that it's not God basically. So this mm-hmm. is as you, as you separate from your narcissism and realize that you're not the boss of everything and, and you know, everything and everyone needs to bow down to you because you're Odin, right? But rather, no, it's you're small and it's scary because you're not very powerful, but then can you connect to, the yeah. powers to your psyche, right? To your soul. Yeah. Is, uh, that you have to disconnect to then reconnect. And I think Odin does a bit of that journey as well. So. Yeah. And like, I think um, that's very, it's a very interesting point because like, I think if you like, we all have only seen this world through our own eyes, we've only had our own experiences. And because of that, because that's all we know, we as humans probably do elevate our status. Like we say like, well, the universe that I'm seeing is the only universe I've seen. So I have a, I play a huge part in this universe that I know when in reality, there's like probably 8 billion people in the world now. So like, 
you know, at what point, like, do you realize, crap, like, after I die, the world's going to keep going. And so, like, maybe I'm not as propped up as I meant to be. And, like, maybe that's where, like, that does lead to anxiety for a lot of people. But, like, I do think when you kind of accept that, that's when you're able to kind of, like, grow as a person. Yeah. That, uh, we, we like to say controversial things on the show, right, John? Uh, yeah, I hope maybe I, I'm going to have to edit out whatever you're about to say. I hope. <laughs> no, well, maybe. but that, um, it, it's hard for me sometimes to explain why the mindfulness idea is so important and why within the walled garden and, you know, studying philosophy and self-transformation, why do you need to learn mindfulness? But the idea of why does it start at mindfulness? There are probably people, plenty of people listening, right. Who think there's a lot of problems with Christianity, whether or not you're a Christian yourself or not. You still, even if you are, you probably still think there's a lot of problems with Christianity. And it would be this idea that when you're this idea, you're unconsciously associated with it, right? Like you feel like it's true, but you also, there's a part of you that knows it's not true, but then you have to repress that and pretend that you don't have those thoughts and just accept it all as true. The idea that when you have some kind of a confrontation of your faith and then you question it and you actually start to doubt it, now you can consciously make sense of your religion, but, but you have to have lost your faith first to now do it intentionally rather than being unconscious or pretending would be one of those ideas. Uh, yeah. That would be a religious crisis being similar to what the individuating ego is uh, accomplishing. Yeah. And so maybe I'm missing the mark here, but like, let's say you look at the Bible and say, uh, yeah. yeah, like I'm, I'm a Christian. I, you know, have Christ- traditional Christian values and I'm going to do my best to be a good person. And after death, I'm going to go to heaven. And then if you read the Bible and you're like, okay, well, the Bible tells you how to be a proper slave owner. It says that God, um, murdered a lot of the firstborn children in Egypt. He yeah. he wiped the a majority of the population of the earth out with a flood. And then if you kind of like take that and say like, well, that's not good. Like, why would he do that? Like, you can like start, like start making some like connect. You can like start saying like something like, oh, well, that was the Old Testament. It's different from the New Testament. But then ask yourself, well, why would God need Jesus to save him, I guess? Or, yeah. And it's like once well, you and- kind of acknowledge that and say like, maybe this is not true like maybe this god the god that i know does not exist but like maybe you're still gonna maybe that understanding allows you to still be a good person in some way like you're gonna say like well i'm gonna be good because i think it's just what's right anyway i don't know as opposed i don't need a god to tell me what to do is to and and it's the idea it's it's not that there's something bad about christianity right it's do you approach your faith honestly or are you lying to yourself right and that makes a big difference in both how you yeah (laughs) actually actually feel about yourself and people and all this idea of, you know, um, the, the unconscious, the unintended harm. That's the whole idea of the, the Jungian shadow is there's a lot of shadow in uh, fooling yourself. And that's the, more for a Loki episode, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we can, uh, we can keep going. Um, so the next uh, poem that I want to discuss briefly was Baldur's Drummer. It's found in many uh, copy, like many uh, compilations of the poetic edda that were put together. And um, Odin hears about these dreams that his son Baldur has. So this is before Baldur d- is dead. But as told in Voluspa, Odin knows that his son's going to die before this. And he starts seeing these ominous signs that it may be coming. Um, so he travels to hell and he awakens a dead witch, um, not unlike what he did in Voluspa. That's another connection with Odin and death, maybe. Um, but he asks the dead witch why the halls of hell are preparing for a banquet. The witch tells him it's because his son Boulder is going to die. So she confirms it. And I think when we had a good conversation about this, when we discussed part one of Boulder's ominous dreams, um, Odin seems to be going into a trance at this point, um, or like he starts hallucinating. And I'm wondering if like, maybe he gets the news that he doesn't want to hear and he mentally cannot control himself. Do you, do you remember that David or? Yeah. And also then, just makes me think, does he physically travel to the underworld or is he, uh, is he in a trance as he spiritually travels there? But then maybe as he gets, yeah, uh, learns that emotional information, then he's sort of losing his connection. And um, I've had a bunch of weird things where I wake up out of dreams and it's a little disorienting. So yeah, <laughs> I really like to Odin this week. Yeah. There we go. Um, but like, this is how it got to be a huge thing for him. Cause like he already has in his head that his son Boulder might die before him. And like, I'm, I'm personally not a parent, but like, this has got to be a traumatizing thing for like a person, a parent that has lost their child. Like, it, like I would imagine it's mentally, it, it might have the capacity to mentally break somebody. And it's like, maybe oh, yeah. this is where Odin starts to go off the deep end. There, there is actually a great interview just on the walled garden this week, or uh, at least they published it somewhere the last couple of weeks that uh, I'll try to find the, uh, 
the name of the guy there, but he was basically talking about his, his spiritual, his crisis of faith as his child died. Right. And there's something I'll share at the end about kind of this theme. So I've, I for, kind of forgot that that was a major aspect of Odin and Balder and all of that. When I prepared it, it was just because this, this is a piece of uh, stoicism and memento mori and things like that. But I'm sure actually all my reading of Norse mythology kind of informed these ideas too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to go ahead and take a um, stroll over to the Proseta where Boulder actually dies and then Gilfagany details his uh, funeral. Since we, again, did like a few episodes on Boulder, um, I'm not going to go too far into it. But one thing of note um, is that Odin dropped his ring, Dropnir, into the funeral pyre. He was the first person to step up to the flames next to his wife, Frigg. He eventually got the ring back because, again, the Aesir sent Hermod to hell to try to negotiate Baldur's release and um, his uh, journey and try to negotiate his return to Asgard. It failed, however, but Baldur did see Hermod there and he gave, I guess the ring went with him through the fire um, to the underworld. And he gave it back to Hermod and said, take this to my uh, mother, I believe. I think she gave, he gave it to Frigg or he just gave it back to Odin. Um, we mentioned Vathruth Nismal, um, a couple weeks ago where Odin was trying to defeat the Riddle Weaver or the, um, giants Vathruthnir in a game of wits or a game of knowledge. And Odin won that contest by asking Vathruthnir, what did I say to my son at his funeral pyre? And that question Vathruthnir did not know the answer to. So Odin won that contest and he was able to like elevate himself as like, oh, I was the defeater of Vathruthnir. Look at me. I'm... Um, gaining my prestige but like the reason why i wanted to bring that up is because odin clearly said something um to boulder boulder's corpse that was like um being burned in the fire like probably right when he dropped that ring in so yeah and the idea of is that odin doing some kind of magic just going go back to him you know him forcibly waking up the seeress and this idea of odin magic power right is very much a theme that we keep returning to yeah david i believe i have mentioned eric small in a previous episode, I did not go too far into it. Eric Small is a poem that is actually not found in the Poetic Edda, or it's not like a story that is found in the Prose Edda. I don't believe, unless I'm missing something. No, I, I found a, uh, a website that gave a bit of a summary about it of yeah, the Earth somewhere like 940, and there's you know this this one manuscript of it, and they they're discussing kind of whether is it a fragment, is it a full poem on its own, and uh, it's really interesting the history on a lot of these things. Yeah, yeah and it's like I. I I've, I've read the poem. I forgot where, where I read it at first or not the poem, but like the story behind it first. But I went to yeah. Wikipedia to see like if I could find where they found it, I guess, or where it like initially was created. And it was, you're right. It was like the nine forties or the nine fifties. And I think there was a comment about it being Eric Bloodaxe's wife who wrote the poem after her husband was killed. Right. Um, she has a really cool name too. It's a real long old Norse word, but it means the, uh, the mother of Kings but I should probably find it because it was such a cool. Yeah. I'm pulling it up. Let's Wikipedia to show that we're the worst podcasters in the world. Um, There's a Scottish poem composed in 954. So this would have been like right after Eric Bloodaxe's death. The queen was Gunhild and she had it written in honor of her slain consort, Eric Bloodaxe. And it says only the beginning of the poem is um, known, I guess. Anyway. So yeah, that's exactly uh, right. her, uh, Her epithet, the mother of Kings. So it's Gunhild, Konu Gabmodthir, Mother of Kings. Perfect. But anyway, so a brief a brief uh, thing that I thought was interesting that I just wanted to include here, because first of all, I'm going to be doing an episode at some point, like when I go over historical figures, I am going to be doing an episode on Eric Bloodaxe. Eric Bloodaxe is the son of Harold Fairhair, um, which I know I've also mentioned in previous episodes. Most recently, when I did a episode on Yinglinga Saga, which is found in Hemskringla, also written by Snorri Sturluson, I went through the line of kings as told in Yingling Saga, all the way from Freyr to Hafton the Black. Um, Hafton the Black was Harold Fairhair's father. We are pretty sure Harold Fairhair did exist and took over a large portion of what we now know as Norway. So he's considered like the first king of a unified Norway, but it still remains to be seen like how much he, excuse me, actually took over. But when he died and he had like many, many sons, his uh, son, Eric Bloodaxe, took over. Um, as the king of Norway. However, his Harold Fair's other son, Hakon, kind of dis- deposed him. Um, I'm not sure if that's the correct word. And Eric Bloodaxe was uh, banished from Norway at that point. Hakon was 
sent to England as a child, and he was fostered under the care of the first king of England, Athelstan. So the story goes, and we don't know how much of this was true, Hakon converted to Christianity because he grew up in this Christian court. When Harold Fairhair died and Eric Bloodaxe took over, the story also goes that Hakon was sent back to Norway. The Thanes were pissed off at Eric Bloodaxe. They didn't like him. So they were like, okay, well, let's just put this Christian as king of Norway, and we're going to banish Eric Bloodaxe. Um, this also sounds like the story where uh, Odin uh, raises one of the brothers to betray his brother. Yeah. I mean, in this case, yeah, Athelstan, uh, well, and that's like not to get too carried away, but like Athelstan, he's like plays a huge part in the uh, the uh, Last Kingdom series written by Bernard Cornwell. But um, he actually shows up in the, the like many of the saga of the Icelanders. So if you think about e- Eagle's saga, Eagle has like run-ins with Harold Fairhair and Eric Bloodaxe. And at one point he fights for Athelstan. And like, it's just very interesting to see like how this character of Eagle, who may probably didn't exist, like kind of gets involved in the courts of Norway and England. But um, with this supposed story, Hakon goes, becomes the King of Norway. Eric Bloodaxe gets banished and starts raiding in Scotland, but his eyes turn to York in Northumbria. At this point, this is, during the reign of Athelstan's half-brother, Eadred. And Eric Bloodaxe is able to take the kingdom of York, which means the kingdom of England fractures after it was after it was created by Athelstan. So Athelstan created the kingdom of England in like 927. When he died, his brother Edmund took the throne of England. And when Edmund died, their half-brother Eadred took the throne. And Eadred was like losing and taking back kingdoms during out his reign. And one of the kings that like came into Jorvik was, or York, which was also known as Jorvik, was Eric Bloodaxe. So he became the king of Norway. Then he was the king of York for a little bit. Then he apparently died in battle. That was a very brief description of Eric Bloodaxe's life. And you didn't ask for it, David, but does that make sense? I think it makes sense. And the, uh, <laughs> well, I'm trying to think, there's a lot of it to take in there. Well, anyways, the reason why this is interesting is because when he died and, uh, uh, Northumbria and York eventually became a part of the kingdom of England again. This poem was written, and this poem deals with Odin preparing a banquet in Valhalla for Eric Bloodaxe. So at this like preparation, um, Odin is speaking with the court poet Bragi, and Bragi asks Odin why he prepares the feast so lavishly. And he also makes a comment that the, the feast seems such a big deal that Boulder, it's, it's almost as if Boulder is, is going to be arriving home from his death so like it's almost like hey this party looks so big it's are you what are you preparing this for boulder it's like what's who's worth this if not your son boulder and so we know that eric small would take place after boulder's death but odin pretty much says well no like eric blood axe is a big deal he was like a king of men and um you know like i think my my thought is you're describing right these really historical figures your uh your comment in our first episode we ever did right when the uh when does when does mythology meet history? Or if you yeah. forget your phrasing, right? But when when does it connect and you start to find a very, you know, real overlap? That, that this poem is very authentic. This is how people in you know the what is that the tenth century um, mm-hmm. liked to use Norse mythology to glorify their kings, right? So that there's a couple things in here that are very different than poetic Edda. So I, I like seeing this one that it's not through Snorri's filter. It's this is how they this is what they like to do with Norse mythology. Yeah. Should, should I read this uh, section? This is the kind of the first stanza of uh, describing kind of Odin's uh, thoughts on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I believe this is Odin says, um, what kind of dream is this? I thought myself rise before daybreak to prepare Valhalla for a slain troop. I awoke the Einarhar. I bade them to rise up. I strew up benches to rinse beer vats, the Valkyries to carry wine as if a prince were coming. So that idea of, yeah, we really get a picture of what, what are the Einahar doing up in Valhalla, right? we got got uh, giant beer vats. Really good detail. And then it says, uh, What thunders here as if a thousand were marching, or two great gathering of men? The tables are all crashing as if Balder were coming back to Odin's hall. So that idea, not just that you're preparing a feast as if, you know, like your son Balder's coming back. This idea that Balder comes in and he smashes things around. I'm like, that sounds like Thor. But we never get much image of what Balder does. But the Balder comes in and he's so mighty or large or something that the uh, tables shake. So. I took that as a, like they just had too many tables and like they were too close together. But I could be wrong. 
that, that it, it's thundering as if thousands were marching. Oh, right? gotcha. But, and the, but it's apparently when Balder walks, it's like a thousand soldiers walking. Right. So <laughs> very cool images there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that, that last second, that last stanza would have been braggy, um, kind of making that comment to Odin, just about like if Balder were coming back to Odin's halls. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Odin responds to Bragi that Eric has reddened his sword many times, to which Bragi asks Odin why he didn't allow Eric to win a great victory if he was so good. And keep in mind, Odin controls the outcomes of battles. During Locus and Loki called Odin out for it for like allowing men to die before their time was up um, because he needed them to be Einarhar to prepare for Ragnarok. And Odin mentions here that it's because it is unknown when Ragnarok will come, so he needs more Einarhar, and Eric Bloodaxe is worthy to be an Einarhar and stand by Odin or side by side by Odin in battle. The idea that Odin's afraid. He, he's really admitting that he's afraid of Ragnarok here. You don't have to take it that way, but really the you know, the as opposed to uh, courage, right? The cowardness of No, I needed him here, right? I couldn't let him win more battles. But it's also then why do, why do bad things happen to good people, right? Why do the greatest warriors die? Odin needs them. <laughs> so, but, uh, and it's just the, the quote from the poem on that one. Um, why did you then deprive him of victory when you thought him so brave? For it is uncertain to know when the gray-coated wolf attacks the seat of the gods. So it's always that, yeah. Not just Ragnarok is coming, but that uh, Fenrir. Yeah, Fenrir comes to attack. Yeah, and keep in mind, Odin knows that Fenrir is going to be the one that kills him because he found out in Voluspa. In one other thing, um, I know I put the notes here on Eric Bloodaxe's life, but I went through that earlier. He he does show up, um, as I mentioned, in like uh, the the Saga of the Icelanders. He she was going to say, yeah, he shows up in the Saga of the Icelanders, and he also shows up in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle was started to be written like in the 880s, I want to say, and this would have been like the 940s, 950s. So this is after like they start actually writing down history, and they refer to him as Eric, son of Harold. They don't mention yeah. anything about um, Harold being the king of Norway, and they don't mention anything about Eric's name being Bloodaxe. But they briefly say like Eric, son of Harold, like took over York for a couple years, type of thing. Yeah, go ahead. It's just, just the, uh, the the ending, the last stanza of the poem is um, it's kind of this feeling that he's talking to Odin and he's he's impressing Odin, or that you know there, there's something for Odin to learn from him that he that he says. There are five kings. I shall teach you the names of them all. And I myself am the sixth. And there's a thing in this from, so from skaldicproject.org where they're talking about maybe it's a fragment or why doesn't he explain the names of these kings? But they say also maybe there's a biblical reference where they often talk something about five kings, this kind of numerology idea. They never say who the five kings are. But mm-hmm. then, so that, you know, sort of like Eric Bloodaxe's like why is he as impressive as Balder, right? Sort of, but also then like that he's the 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 sixth coming of Christ or something like that. Sure, right? is sort of how he's uh, selling himself there. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and one other note, um, there's there's a stanza. And you probably saw this, David. There's like one random stanza where like Odin tells two of the other Einarhar to like do something, or like they just they they just like show up briefly. But it's Sigmund and Sinfjotli. Sigmund is. Sigmund from the family of Volsung. Sinfjotli is one of Sigmund's sons. And Sinfjotli was actually birthed because Sigmund unknowingly had sex with his sister. So Sinfjotli is pure blood Volsung, but they were there. And uh, as we, as I mentioned um, a couple weeks ago, the Volsungs, you know, were descendant of Odin. And like, I just wanted to make that note because we are going to do a series on the saga of the Volsungs um, here in the next few months. So. Were there any of those uh, genealogies that claimed Eric Bloodaxe descends from Odin? Uh, yeah. Think of well, yeah. So Eric, and like it depends on the sources, and there's obviously some inconsistencies. But like when um, I mentioned like the Saga of the Volsungs, and then through Sigurd the Dragon Slayer's daughter Aslog, she marries Ragnar Lothbrok, and then like the Saga of Ragnar Lothbrok, um, Jackson Crawford calls it like a uh, a spinoff. So in like his version of the Saga of the Volsungs, he like makes this family tree based on what shows in the text yeah. and it shows that Ragnar Lothbrok, they have a kid named um, Sigurd snake in the eye. I believe this is the one it is. So he's the grandson of Sigurd, the giant slayer through his mother. And apparently he is like the grandfather of Harold Fairhair in the story or like something like that. I, it's very, it's, it, it's very inconsistent with what we find in Hemskring club, but like you could make the case that Eric blood through Harold Fairhair, through Sigurd the Dragon or Sigurd the Snake in the Eye, 
could be descendant of Odin. I think that's yeah. I'm, I'm glad you can keep track of all of those uh, all those family tree things. But that I was getting the feeling here, right, that they're saying yeah, he's seeing his ancestors, he's seeing his great grandfathers yeah. when he uh, goes there. Right? Yeah, but you could also like make the case through Hemskringla that he's a descendant of Freyr at that point because Harold Fairhair is apparently a descendant of Freyr. But it's all a convoluted mess, David. No, and, and that part that you know the. You know, is it Odin that has a one-year-old or a one-day-old child that saves things, or is it Thor that has a one-day-old child right, or a three-day-old child? That these ideas, right? It's an image that needs to be in there, but who, who is really the god? Who is the king of the gods? Right? Is a little fuzzy, probably sometimes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So anyway, enough of a tangent on my end. Um, so the last story that we're going to be discussing is Odin's actual death at Ragnarok. So when Ragnarok starts, and this is from yeah from Gofaginin, Hemdel blows the Galarhorn as uh, the army approaches, Odin goes to Mimir's well for counsel. Odin then, at the time of the battle, Odin rides in front of the Einarhar, wearing a gold helmet and a magnificent coat of mail, Thor by his side. During the battle, Fenrir swallows Odin, killing him. Odin is then avenged by one of his other sons, Vidar, who slays the wolf. So that's, those are the stories that I wanted to discuss. It's very brief in the actual text, of Gilfagany, but like I do think that this moment is interesting to me because if Odin knows that Fenrir is going to kill him, as he found out in Valspa, and he also found out that Ragnarok is going to kill like most of his kin, as he also found out in Valspa, like what were his thoughts when he saw Fenrir approaching? He like he also mentioned the wolf in uh, Eric's Maw, as we just mentioned. Like, do you think like at that moment he was? Like what? I guess like his la- his life may have been flashing before his eyes. Like was he yeah. upset at how he spent all of his time obsessing over his death, or was he looking back at the family that he created and like smiling? And I guess like well, my, my is, question, David, is did he have a good death? Yeah. Well, and this is the, the detail I see in here, right? That where they need to write a good fan fiction. And really, what they need is they need to get Michael Bay to hire us to make a really good movie of our Norse mythology timeline. Right. Because that Odin, you know, he's having a crisis. He's not sure if he can handle the battle and he goes to Mimir's well for counsel. And what is the, how does this conversation go where he's having his crisis of faith and Mimir reassures him that he can, what, what is it he, Odin needs to hear to get, uh, get pumped up by his coach? You know, it's like a, like a Rocky kind of scene, right? He's doubting himself. And now da, 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 he's coming and now he's ready to, <laughs> to be the, to be the king he was always meant to be. Right. And I lead can't him in battle. Him. I can't get past you You choosing Michael Bay out of all of the directors. <laughs> my guess is like he goes to Mimir's well, and like this version, he goes to Mimir's well. Mimir's like, oh, well, my friend here will help you. And then like Optimus Prime comes out and like the we, need, we, need a lot of C- we need a lot of CGI. I think we need Leonard Nimoy as Mimir. Um, He's dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but, but they, with enough CGI, we can bring him back. <laughs> God. That's where AI, chat GDP, like we'll just have a, I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know what chat GDP is, but like AI is, AI can do it. It's going to be fine. In well, 10 well, what I mean is they, they, they need it, you know, the movie done well, but with all of the, uh, the authentic details and don't only about any of these little detail things, right? Like he's got to go to Mimir's well for counsel and we got to expand this and make it a 20 minute scene where he's talking to Mimir. In any case, that's my, that's my funny way of saying that, that Odin figured out something here, right? Of all these things where he was, he was afraid, right? He was afraid and trying to do everything he could to prevent Ragnarok. <laughs> and now it's happening. And he does not know what to do. And he needs Mimir's counsel. Right. And so that's, I like that scene. Yeah. I, I can't like that. That could be something when we run out of things to talk about, we could just like say, well, what about this fan fiction where we have this director talk about Norse mythology M. Night Shyamalan. And uh, like, it's going to be funny. One of our fans will just like reach out to us on Twitter and be like, between two Ravens, they don't know what they they ran out of stuff to talk about. They're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we, we jumped the shark finally. Like Tarantino <laughs> does Mimir as well. Yeah. Ooh, Tar- Tarantino would do it. Which of these, which of the poems would we get Tarantino to uh, direct? Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll have these episodes in four months, as I mentioned, Mimir. Yeah. Inside. Maybe that, maybe <laughs> that one where I think I think probably that one where uh, Odin. Uh, goes he's uh he's under he's undercover he's in disguise and then the uh, king tortures him right and because uh, he the, the, uh frig warns that there's going to be a, this uh sorcerer you don't want to trust coming and then he gets tied up and tortured that seems like a tarantino film yeah that, that sounds like a good idea yeah especially the scene where like he gets the water and he like i don't know yeah that we'll we'll, we'll have that discussion we'll figure it out and if any of our fans want to reach out to us on social media to say which director would do norse mythology justice um we're we're all ears yeah, and which actor do we need for Odin as a Harbard? Who's who's supposed to play Harbard? That's a really important, maybe a comedy actor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Um, but anyway, back to the question. Did, did, like, did I ruin your dramatic moment about a uh, desert day a good death? Well, no, 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 not, not at all. Like this, like we're talking about whatever. But like, I, I am just like wondering, like, uh, you know, I'm wondering, like, when he like is entering the mouth or he's getting bit by Fenrir. Like, yeah. is he afraid? Is he afraid? Is he actually relieved that he his anxiety is over? Um, right. Or is he like happy about the fact that his son Boulder is going to be back? And he has he accepted the fact that he's just not going to be there while Boulder comes back? Right. Um, so I, I, like, I really big, like the image. Question, I think yeah. it's, it says, yeah, him suiting up with his helmet and his armor, right? This is no longer Odin, the, the wise old man with, you know, uh, a, a cloak and kind of sneaking around, right? He is yeah. returned as Odin, the mighty warrior, and not just the warrior, but the king who leads all of his soldiers into battle, right? And uh, that that's what Odin was always meant to do, right? But then that he had a lot of fear before that. Actually, it was interesting. There was this quote as I'm reading a, uh, discourses, the full kind of uh, Epictetus, the Stoic philosopher, his big kind of lectures or uh, commentaries. And, it, and it's on this idea as people talk about what is the role of emotion in Stoicism. And there'll be a lot of articles being like, okay, so the Stoics don't really say, don't have your emotions, even though everybody takes it that way. But if, if you just read the, you know, if you read the real original Epictetus, he's pretty clear on that. So he's talking to one of his students who's basically uh, complaining. And Epictetus' response is, he's a little bit mocking in a way, but he says, I've got a headache. Don't give expression to grief. I've got an earache. Don't give expression to grief. I'm not saying that you shouldn't groan at such things, but that you shouldn't groan in your inmost self. If someone's bringing you medical treatment, or doesn't bring you, you know, adequate medical treatment, don't cry out and make a face and explain, everyone hates me. For in truth, who wouldn't hate such a person? Mm-hmm. Basically saying that if you complaint, you know, if, you, if you're complaining too much that everyone hates you, now you've a self-fulfilling prophecy. You've made it true. But that is, you know, okay. So he's saying, don't give expression to your grief, but it's this idea. But then he says, well, you, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't groan at such things, right? That it is painful that you'll feel a pain, but don't let it get to your innermost self, right? Don't let it crush you really as they, as they translate words, right? From ancient Greek, like as Epictetus's word for grief, the same as our word of grief. Right. It's not about don't feel your grief, but it's, but then you have to continue. You have to push forward. Right. So the idea to allow some emotions, there, there was even a chapter where it's talking about um, to allow the emotion of pity rather than hate. Right. And there's a little comment in there being like the, the Stoics often say, you know, uh, that any emotion is you're being deceived in sort of self-deception, but also recognizing that it's natural. You have a headache. Well, yeah, it hurts. You might groan, right? You, you, you smash your hand in something. It will hurt. You, you can, <laughs> you're allowed to react, right? But then it's, you know, rather than giving up, basically. So that idea, you know, there's a lot of Odin questioning and, and afraid that he's going to give up, but he figures it out in the end, right? And that that's actually the, yeah. the point. Yeah. Well, no, and I, I like that. And like, that's why I wanted to include that little note about from Gilfaganine, where he puts on his gold helmet in this like magnificent coat of mail, like he's been dreading this moment forever. Like, and like, I'm sure like all humans are dreading the day that they know their existence and their consciousness may end. But like, I, I kind of think the fact that he still like decides to do this and says, well, I know what's going to happen. This wolf is going to consume me and I'm going to die and that's going to be it. But like, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. And like, maybe there was some regret there. Like when the, he saw the wolf approaching and like his life was uh, flashing before his eyes, there may have been something there that was like, you know what, maybe I should not have spent so much time worrying about this. And like, there's like, I know this isn't on our notes, but like, like when I was preparing for this episode, I actually, have you ever seen true detective season one? No. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey and um, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey was like this uh, really mentally fucked up detective who like he was like an emo det- by the way season one of true detective is like the best season of any television show i've ever seen it's great it's, you should watch it but like, mentioning those actors i feel like i do need to watch it yeah Sounds yeah good. and like harrelson like in real life he's like a, i think like a staunch atheist but he plays like this christian like person like it's the it's the opposite with um mcconaughey but like he uh makes this like one note where he like looks at these victims that have been murdered in like a horrible fashion. And he like made a comment about how, when he looks into these corpses eyes, he like says each one of the eyes that he looked at just like made, like they had this like total acceptance 
and like he made a comment about like they they had this like acceptance and like this he like then goes into like why did i worry so much about why was i so afraid of this moment type of thing like why did i think my life meant this much type of thing and like i know i wanted to bring that up because like i like to think odin maybe had that flash when fenrir approached like that flash and say like why was i so worried about all this i could have spent more time with my kids like type of thing i don't know the part about Odin, as you say often, right? Odin being very human, right? That idea is that, that we are just humans. And in Stoicism a lot, there's this idea, there's the ideal sage, but that nobody is the sage. Maybe Socrates was, but pretty much nobody was. But that, and, and why do you need all these expressions? And sometimes they sound very harsh. They sound very inhuman, right? To, you know, don't give expression to grief, right? But it's that, that you're just a human. You will, you know, waver. You will falter sometimes. And then you need the ideas of the sage to remind you what you actually want to do, right? Odin consulting with Mimir at the well is sort of these, you know, that's the purpose of the stoicism. It's not all the time walking around being like, I never have grief and you have grief. You're such a weak person. And I, you know, I I look down on you, right? It's rather, no, just, you're going to need these kind of pieces of advice when life gets really tough, Mm -hmm. you know, but so that's trying, I'm not sure if I'm fully explaining it, but trying to balance these, you know, misinterpretations of uh, stoicism but it's like well he just says there don't give expression to grief but it's, you gotta put it in the context that's one way to say that sure but yeah that's that's what and i had so, if you want to get near stuff dude yeah there, and there's something you were saying there that uh, i'm sure it'll connect as i start to read through so just to, just to get us in the mood for this i'll read another robert Bly poem this one's called a week after your death i dreamt last night you lived nearby not dead at all but safe in a blacksmith's storage room with bolts and nails in bins from floor to ceiling. You came and brought me an ivory jar holding a precious fluid, which I took. I knew it meant the time had come, but I let you leave. Later, a man pushed open the door and threw your body down, a wizened, astonishingly small body, ropes still tied around the neck. I woke and cried to my wife. He didn't die that way. There was no rope. All that is wrong, she said. In your dream, he did. Interesting. <laughs> I won't analyze it too much. I'll just leave it there. I just wanted to put that there for the attitude, but clearly it is looking at what what is it to still uh, feel and relate with the dead. One way to say that, maybe. Yeah. Gotcha. But the uh, the main thing I wanted to talk about was this the stoic idea of memento mori to remember death, to meditate on your death, and why that's a good thing. Um, this is close to what you were saying about did Odin realize like he regretted all the time he spent worrying about his death, right? Mm-hmm. That, that if you meditate on your death, it is not about being morbid and saying, you know, death is nothing to me. I feel nothing about it. Right. It is just the preparing yourself. So it's, it's, and you actually allow the feeling a, a little bit. You notice this anticipated loss. And if you really sit and meditate on it, you feel a little bit about it. And then you figure out how you deal with it. And you do that a little bit. It's like a uh, vaccinations, right? You give yourself a little bit of this here and there, whenever, you know, the, and that question I'll come back to at the end, how often should you do this? Right. But it's like a vaccination. And that then at the end, something will still be sad, but it won't break you. Cause the goal is you don't want it to break you. Cause that doesn't help anybody. That doesn't help you being a living person going through life. That doesn't help the rest of the living people around you. That idea that you can feel it, but don't let it crush you. And that sounds nice, but how do you do it? Right. And then maybe it starts with, mindfulness and meditating and contemplating on death. So the Stokes have a lot of different sayings. I'm trying to think. Yeah, no. And I I like this because like I mentioned, like when I used to meditate more often, and again, I need to get back into it. Like when something, there's like an intrusive thought and like with me, maybe it's work, maybe it's politics and assuming the worst about like society. And maybe it's like me just like thinking like more personal things in my life. But like one of the things I would think about is the fact that I am going to die one day, but you can like kind of take that little intrusive thought and still just kind of acknowledge it and then set it to the side. And like, I, I I used to do this meditation where like I put it on like a lily pad and like, let it go downstream just like out of view. And it's like, that's what I did with every like bit of anxiety. And that, in like in a weird way, it helps. I don't know. But like, I do think just like understanding that like your death is there and there's might be a time where it is worse, like as you get older, but like, you know, in the meantime, you're going to look back at this moment and say like, I should have done something different. I should have enjoyed the fact that I have a good family or something like that. I should enjoy the fact that I live in a nice area and I have good weather to like walk outside. I don't know. 
the, the one, the idea is it's really hard to do when death seems meaningless or life sees, seems meaningless. So Marcus Aurelius, his meditations, book two and section three and four, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll just read a little bit of a part trying to emphasize this idea that the meditating on death is actually really about gratitude, right? Because it's, like you said, to be present for what you actually have all along the way, right? That Odin was so busy going to the underworld, trying to change things. He was not spending much time appreciating what he actually had to living in the future and a feared outcome of the future, right? So this is, uh, yeah, Meditations 2.4. Uh, Remember how long you've been putting this off and how often the gods have given you due dates, which you've not taken advantage. It's high time now for you to recognize what kind of universe you're a part of and what kind of universal directing power you're an emanation of. That a limit has been set on your time. And if you don't use it to dispel the mists, it will pass and you will pass and the opportunity won't come again. Mm-hmm. Right. So th- this was Marcus just writing to himself, trying to convince himself of that fact as he reads the <laughs> meditations. He's just trying to convince himself of these things over and over. But there's something you need to contemplate on to make sense of it all or else you're just pushing it out of mind, avoiding it, trying not to think about it too much. Yeah, um, no, definitely. And like, that's one thing I always just do as well. Like I would like write down my anxieties on a piece of paper, then I would read it and like, it kind of like made it smaller in a weird way. And it's yeah. like, or like mentally, yeah. like it was like, oh, well this doesn't seem that bad. Like this is, yeah. I don't know. But like, um, and I know I, David, I made that note about the uh, app, which I didn't realize yeah. that the person spoke at the walled garden, but like there's an I'm, app. I'm I trying to recall about- actually now if it was, um, this was back when I was listening to a lot of stoic podcasts. If it was on the, the practical stoic before it became walled garden, or maybe it actually was on um, the Daily Stoic. Uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Ryan Ryan Holiday's show. It, maybe it was on there, as I'm trying to now recall, because I couldn't yeah. find the episode. But it's yeah, it's a guy who created an, an app that reminds you reminds you that you're going to die. There's I'm not sure if it's the same app that reminds you how many weeks you have left, depending on how long oh, you expect to live. I don't um, think this one <laughs> does that. But the, the app that I was thinking of is called Recroak. And, uh, like every day, if you, if you subscribe to it, like every day you get like a message pop up on your phone that just like, is like, you're going to die, make the day great. And I'm looking at the app on my phone right now. And this is just like, like, I don't even have the app right now, but like my wife does. And, uh, like one of the things that'll pop up, it says like one day it says death is only the end. If you assume the story is about you. One, another one is (laughs) that is exactly the, the, the individuating ego, right. Separating from. My death is an awful thing because I'm so important, right? That's Odin. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and really, we're not. So, um, and this one I like it says, No one on his deathbed ever said, I wish I had spent more time on my business. And so, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I think this is really cool. And it's like, it's really morbid, but at the same time, it's kind of beautiful. Like, you have to, yes. like, as, as, I, as you mentioned, like, with like a vaccine, with any like vaccine, you're given some of the, the sickness. So, your like immune system can deal with it. And like, I, I like to think that if you do have like these daily reminders that like you're going to die one day, like at yeah. some time you're kind of numb to the fact that you're going to die, but you're also going to embrace the fact that like the day is beautiful and you're going to be having, like you should do what you can in the meantime to enjoy it and like have that gratitude. And I think it is that idea about why, why is stoicism not really about not feeling your feelings, right? Because that, why does a vaccine work? Because it causes some inflammation in you. You, you take it and then you react and then your body fights it off, right? That you, that you need to feel it. That idea that you could do a meditation on death, right? You could get a reminder text on your phone every day. But what are you doing in your head with that, right? Are you allowing yourself to feel a little bit of it, right? And don't feel so much that you get overwhelmed, right? But feel a little bit of it. Or if you were so defended from it and numb to it, you're doing all this, you know, attempting to meditate on death, but you weren't feeling it. And then you get to the end and it's just as bad as it was always going to be because you <laughs> were numb to it along the way. You didn't actually use it the way. Um, it was meant to be, right? So why do you need wise old Mimir to actually instruct you on how to manage these yeah. things? It's, it's hard to make it up, make it up on your, as you go along. Um, and then the other idea from stoicism of why all these things connect together and how it really connects to all the conversations we've had about fate. So there's the idea memento mori, remember death and amor fati to, to love your fate that if you love your fate, then you will not fear death so much. So that, you know, to meditate on death is to will that your fate happens the way it does, right? So how am I going to die? However, I'm going to die. And that's how I want it to happen because that's how it's going to go. So (laughs) I can fight it or I can say that's how it's going to, I don't know how it's going to go, but however it is going to go is the way it will go. 
that then you desire for it to go that way rather than desiring other things. This idea that you desire for fate to happen the way it does. That's all you can do. That's, that's the only thing you have control of in the universe, according to Stoicism, is do I want that to happen or I don't want that to happen? Because right? I can't make it happen or make it not happen, but I can want the fate to happen the way it does. And so that's a complicated idea, again, that as you meditate on it more, do you really, can you really love that fate happens that way? Can you really mm-hmm. like that? But the alternative is that you hate it, right? And that it happens yeah, anyway. a lot of your life hating everything. Go, go ahead, Sean. Then it happens anyway. It happens anyways. And how much of your life do you spend hating versus how much of your life do you spend loving, right? That's yeah. a very important um, point. And so this is, I did, I did do a little bit of a group meditation group on a uh, memento mori a few, uh, few months back, I think back in the fall or winter, but that uh, it was a strange connection I made, but I'll, I'll share it here with the podcast. That I shared it with the, the very small group we had then that there was a, so it's, it's how, how do you meditate on death, right? Is it, is it just to uh, get the app, right? That's certainly one way, right? Or um, do you write in your journal about it whenever it pops up in your mind or, you know, how do you structure this? How do you do it regularly? But it reminded me of, so there was this melody that, you know, my mom's father, uh, he spoke German fluently. Well, my mom kind of spoke German, but not very fluently, but she would always hum this tune, which is called Brahms Lullaby, Let's see if I can try to hum a little bit of it. It's a Does that sound familiar at all, Sean? It sounds like I don't know. It definitely sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah. And my voice <laughs> lower than it probably is meant to be like an octave or two lower, but yeah. That and somehow I'm trying to remember how I found it. But there's you know, my mom used to hum it to me when I was a kid, like falling asleep. It's a lullaby, right? As you're falling asleep, it's a nice little melody. Um, you know, go to sleep, go to sleep. Go to sleep, little baby, is kind of one way it's been modernly words put to it. Yeah. Um, but my son had a toy that was playing it. And I'm like, oh, I remember that song. It's such a nice melody. What is it? Where does it come from? And I looked it up and the um, original lyrics in German. So the, the title is Wengenleid, uh, I believe. So I'll, I'll say a little bit of it in German and I'll read it in English. And it's this idea of what is, what is the proper attitude. It's a very stoic attitude. Uh, to take. So it's a guten Abend, gut Nacht, mit Rosen bedacht, mit Neglein bedeckt, Schuppolf unter die deckt, Morgen free, wenn Gott will, wirst du wieder geweckt, Morgen free, wenn Gott will, wirst du wieder geweckt. So in English, that is good evening, good night, with roses bedeckt, with carnations adorned, Slip under the covers, because when Morgan, when morning comes, if God wills, you will wake again. So you say to your child as you put them to sleep, if God wills it, you'll wake up tomorrow. <laughs> and he may not. And you think back a few hundred years, this was very relevant. And Marcus Aurelius, he had multiple children that died in uh, their young infancy, right? That, that was the thing you had to prepare yourself for if it was going to happen all the time. And it's a weird idea, right? But this idea that somehow... It's, it's gratitude, right? It's how grateful you are for them and when they wake up in the morning, right? Rather than just don't think about it too much, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what's your thought, Sean? Well, no, it, I mean, it, it seems very stoic, as you mentioned. It's uh, if you don't wake up, you don't wake up type of thing. And it's like, yeah. well, I'm going to go to bed and I'm not going to let the fact that I am not going to wake up prevent me from getting any sleep type of thing. Oh, yeah. And, and hard enough for yourself, right? Hard enough for Odin, but even harder for Odin when it's Balder. Right. And that idea that that, that is the true test, something in there and contemplate it and sit with it a little bit. And, and then you find the strength, right. To, to go forward. That's that, you know, what's, what's the well of Mimir, right. Some kind of mm-hmm. wisdom and strength, but uh, not, not easy to put it into words. As I give you a bunch of poems and songs today, anybody listening that uh, well, no, maybe, uh, maybe Odin had like a meditation session with Mimir when he went down there and was like, well, here it is. <laughs> yeah. This is the moment, and like maybe that maybe was. I said it a bunch of different stuff, ways, yeah. right? Yeah, between the Robert Bly poem, between uh, Marcus Aurelius, between this song. If one of them clicks for you, right? That somehow, it, or it helps. It's, it's an idea then that you contemplate and you wrestle with, and then does something click that reassures you, and you get to live your life more present, enjoying each moment, right? That's actually the goal of it all. But, uh, yeah, definitely. So, some some dark stuff and probably a little therapy advice, but it's also all philosophy. So I'm not. 
I'm not giving therapy advice. It's all philosophy. Awesome. David, did you have anything else? No, I think that's it. I'm trying to think anything to tie it back to this, uh, this episode, but as, as you, yeah, I, I really liked as you brought it together. And, in, and then at the end, he consults with wise old Mimir for counsel of how does he, you know, he's been, he's been afraid. He's been trying to change fate and then he faces his fate in the end. Right. So that's yeah. the, the real, how, how does, did Odin die a good death? I would say he did. Yeah. And I think next we're, uh, I don't know, maybe like a two-part series on Thor. I know we were going to mention that or or like Loki or Freyr, but I'm sure we're going to get back and if not next week, maybe the week after just like doing like another two-part series on one of the other gods or something. Yeah. I think, I think probably to go kind of in the order we did, right. Dude. Yeah. Two-part on Thor. I'll be interesting as we recap the whole arc, right. It is compared to when we did each episode, one story at a time, this part where we put together the, the story arc of the gods, whole uh journey essentially and then yeah probably just two on loki we talked about loki a lot but i can talk about loki for all day too so yes yes awesome all right john have a great rest of your weekend yeah you as well thank you thank you everyone thank you for listening to between two ravens if you've been enjoying our show please write a five-star review on itunes to help spread our podcast to a wider audience see the show notes below for links to follow us on social media Our podcast is part of the Walled Garden Podcast Network. The Walled Garden Philosophical Society is committed to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever it might be found. Visit thewalledgarden.com to learn more.